This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. What is Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha is experts, celebrities. What's up? This is Belbid DeVoe. You're truly Idris Elba. This is Fantasia. This is Invo. This is India RE. So much more. All from a woman's perspective. What flavor are you, baby? This is Cafe Mocha. The Lakers just fired their coach. The NFL is being sued for discrimination. Stephen A. Smith is here to talk about it all. And a new book explores the history and legacy of R&B divas. Cafe Mocha begins now. Follow us on all platforms at Cafe Mocha Radio. I'm Angelique. Uh, Lonnie Love and Yo-Yo's with us. Okay, so ladies, I have a question because this was something that was really popular. Um, it, It was going around online. And basically it says, if you had to pick two people to help you roast someone, who would it be? And your choices are some more, (laughs) <laughs> Monique, Wanda, Leslie Jones, Lunell, Adele Givens, Cheryl Underwood, Tiffany Haddish. Who would you pick? Mm. Two. You could get two. Okay. I would. I would definitely pick Monique, mm-hmm. and I would pick Lonnie Love. Oh, I'm not in it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're too nice anyway, Lonnie. Put myself in. Yeah, I am too nice. Yeah. Who else? Monique, and who else would you pick? Um, I like some more has always been really raw and I don't feel like we see enough of her. So I definitely go with the first two, some more and Monique. Okay. All right. So I probably use Wanda Sykes. Mm. I, I can get Adele. Adele's pretty good too. Okay. Rose. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably go with, let me tell y'all, Cheryl Underwood is a beast. When it oh, comes yeah, to yeah. roasting, Cheryl would would get it and get down, you know, and then I would probably go with Adele too, because, you know, Adele is just really witty and funny and she would find something to to roast. That's that's that old school, you know, roast. And it's so true that it don't even hurt your feelings. (laughs) You're like, you can't even be mad. You can't even be mad. That's, that's the type of roaster that Adele is. Okay, now let's switch it over to the comedian guys. If you had to pick two comedian guys to help you roast somebody, would it be Mike Epps, D.L. Hughley, Cat Williams, Martin Lawrence, Dave Chappelle, Bernie Mac, Kevin Hart, Ricky Smiley, or Eddie Murphy? Oh, I'm going with Cat Williams and Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Cat Williams and Eddie? <laughs> I'm going with Kat and Eddie because Eddie's just stupid. <laughs> Eddie's stupid and, and Kat will take it personal. So it, it might turn into a fight battle. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hate to 100% agree, but I'm going with Yo-Yo on this one. Kat Williams <laughs> and Eddie Murphy. Cat is crazy. And Eddie is just so good. And you know, he's going to think about it. You know what I'm saying? You know, he's going to come up with some funny, clever, you know, hopefully he'll wear the leather pants or whatever. We're vegan leather pants and, you know, shake his little chocolate booty around the stage while he's doing it. Uh, yeah. Oh. No, I would I would have to say 
uh, DL Hughley mm-hmm. can roast like nobody's business. He really, really can. And then I would have to say Bernie Mac. Oh yeah, Bernie Mac. See, Bernie Mac to me is really the one of the kings of that. And I know that he would be just incredible just mm-hmm. on the spot because he's so quick, he's so funny, and he's so <laughs> yeah, I do love Bernie Mac. I do yeah. love Yeah. I mean, this is like, I mean, people really got into into this. Um, you know, when I when I posted about it, and they were just like, so when I saw that they did one for the fellas, I said, well, let me do one for the girls, you know. And people was like, you missing some people. It is, people really <laughs> took it personal. And I'm like, I'm just trying to throw up, you know, a couple of pictures, you know, and it gives it pays homage to these wonderful comedians. On Amazon Prime, there is a wonderful video about Guy Tori's Fat Tuesday, yeah. which was a, a comedy room back in the day that we all used to go to. And so they made a documentary. It was really good. It brought back great memories. And it was amazing if you watch it. It became a networking thing yeah. where you know, obviously people got jobs from it, but then also if you had a small business, if you wash cars, if you were a tailor, he would get up on stage and be like, yeah, Angie, her mama got the fried chicken business. Make sure you check out, you know, their website and such and such. So it was just a beautiful place for progressive black people, black people with jobs and with businesses to connect and exchange services. So, but really cute seeing Tiffany Haddish on stage at, you know, 15, 16 years old doing stand up. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. Cause I didn't realize, I mean, Lonnie, I remember we went to go see Girls Trip, uh, the premiere together. And you were like, oh, she's been around for a while. Cause I was like, who's she? Uh, and you, but I didn't know she'd been around since she was like 15 doing comedy at the Laugh Factory, joking about being a foster kid and being starving and hungry. It's called Fat Tuesdays and it's on Amazon Prime right now. It's Cafe Mocha, Angelique, Lonnie Love, and Yo-Yo on the line from ESPN, ESPN Radio, Stephen A. Smith. Welcome, finally, to Cafe Mocha. How are you? Hey, hey, hey. How y'all doing? How's everything? Great. I mean, you know, probably the reason that you haven't been on this show before is because we don't know nothing about sports. But speak for yourself. Okay. I've been trying to get Steven. We, we don't do sports. I'm like, black women listen to sports. We like, how you think that's we right. get our men? Okay. So thank you. talk sports. That is a valid point. The more you we, know in that category, it, it does help. No doubt. Steven, we love you. We love you on, on first take. Um, we love all your takes because you're unapologetic. You're fearless. Where did that come from? Well, combination of a couple of things. Born and raised in New York City, raised by five women, four older sisters, and my mother. I mean, when you're subjected to that kind of stuff, you're gonna wake, you you're gonna grow up brave because you've dealt with everything that this possibly deal with. I think I get it from my sisters, to be quite honest with you. I got four sisters, all strong, fearless black women, uh, who take no prisoners, tell you exactly where they stand, pull no punches, and will check their little brother in a heartbeat. When you're accustomed Mm -hmm. to dealing with that, it toughens you up. (laughs) You know what, Stephen? You say you're so fearless, as Lonnie Love called you. But what makes you take how we talk in the living room to the television? I mean, like, what makes you so great is the fact that you say everything that a 
ex-player, a new player, and a wannabe player says in their living room, but you bring it to the people. What gives you that <clears throat> to say it? Well, you know, here's, here's my answer to that. I mean, you know, I grew up and I used to watch folks on TV all the time. And I used to say to myself, they phony as hell. I don't believe what they're saying. <laughs> and, if I was, and, and if I was ever in this position, I said the one thing I'm going to make sure the audience knows is that I mean what I say and I say what I mean. And the way to do that is by being yourself, trying to be as authentic as you possibly can be, and paying attention to how they receive the message rather than being focused on how you deliver the message. I mean, a whole bunch of people you know, talk about being listened to, but the key ain't being listened to, it's being heard. Do people really, really hear what you're saying and where you're coming from? It's your obligation to do that. And you can't do that if you have no clue whatsoever how people obtain and, and, and embrace information. And so that's something that I've always prided myself on, knowing what people want to talk about, knowing what's on their mind and using my imagination because I've been a reporter for over 25 years before mm -hmm. I really, really, you know, dug into this television stuff. And I think that's where it comes from. But Stephen, you know, you get into trouble and it just it just <laughs> upsets me because honest to goodness, we love you. Like, I love you. I love listening to you. I love your passion. I love just like what yeah. Lonnie said, the truth telling. And then you get in trouble, but then you don't back down. You're just like, look, this is who I am. I don't know how mm -hmm. you do it, man. I don't no, know well, let me ask you this question. I, I, I'll throw a rhetorical question y'all way. What's your definition of getting in trouble? Is getting in trouble because people criticizing me? Is getting in trouble because people don't like what I have to say? To me, that's not trouble. I'm not, I'm not phased by that at all. Doesn't bother me. I don't lose any sleep over it. I don't worry about it or anything like that. There's third rails that you can't touch. And there's no question about that. But particularly when your foundation, certainly I'm not that way now because I'm in the studio all the time and, and I'm more of a personality than anything else at this day and age. But growing up as a journalist, the objective was not to worry about being liked. Mm -hmm. You were supposed to be in tireless pursuit of the truth and go about the business of doing your job and the people didn't like it, so damn what? And my attitude is, I'm not talking about anybody's personal business. I'm not divulging their stuff. I'm not in people's bedrooms and all of this other salacious nonsense and stuff like that that people find themselves in from time to time. No, I talk about the game. And I talk about things people do, not who they are. And because that's the difference that I make sure I distinguish myself in, I consider myself humane and fair. And as long as I'm that way, I have nothing to worry about. I sleep quite well at night. It's Cafe Mocha on the line, Stephen A. Smith. You know, we were talking about, you know, how unapologetic and how factual you are. And I learned that a lot by listening to you. And the thing that opened my eyes about having facts is when you broke down the whole Colin Kaepernick, like the chances that he was getting. And you were one of the right. few people, Stephen, to break it down and say, wait a minute, hold up, <laughs> you know, so, mm -hmm. and that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, would you say that comes from being a journalist? Well, in large part, yes, because you have to accumulate facts. If you don't have facts, what are you saying that's substantive? I mean, it's a rhetorical question, but seriously, if you don't have facts, all you're doing is speaking out of emotion or, or you know, or what you deduce based on circumstantial stuff that has been thrown out there considering the business that I've been in, the sources and resources that I have, 
and I know how to get access to information that the typical person doesn't know how to get access to. So once I get those facts, the facts speak for me. They manipulate what I'm willing to say and what I'm not willing to say. And as it pertains to Colin Kaepernick, I know the brother was blackballed. I know it was unfair what's happened to him. I know it's a bunch of racist owners that have kept him out of the league. I know it's unfair. I know they're focused on money more than anything else, and they believe that he'll compromise their bottom line. All of that stuff is true. But I also know you sued the NFL if you call it Kaepernick. And most people who sued their former employer doesn't look to go back to the employer they sued. I know you did that. I know you reached the settlement. Most people get a settlement. Don't go back and work for the people they settled with. And, and you got to sign an NDA. And, and <laughs> that's right. And you got to sign a non-disclosure agreement because everybody don't know what an NDA is. Thank and then you. on top of it all, then on top of it all, you know, when you finally came back into the league or tried to come back into the league and you had a tryout uh, that was scheduled, you're talking about you didn't trust them. They gave you, you know, some, some stipulations that they never gave before. Well, they never held an individual workout for an individual player as a league in the league's history. So, of course, it would be different than what you're accustomed to. But you said you wanted to be in the league knowing that you didn't trust them, knowing that you didn't like them, knowing that you thought they, were worth, they weren't worth a damn, and you still wanted to play in their league, but you want to play by your own rules. I don't know anybody who gets to get away with that in society, so why should he? It's Cafe Mocha, Angelique, Lonnie, Love, and Yo-Yo on the line. The great Stephen A. Smith. Brian Flores, former head of uh, Miami Dolphins, is suing the NFL. He now has a couple more people on board with him. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, you just said you sue and and you're not going to go back to work. But doesn't Brian already have another gig? I mean, Brian is an assistant coach in the National Football League for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. He's working under an African-American coach in Mike Tomlin, who's fortunate enough to have the cachet that he's had because he's a Super Bowl champion. He's a two time AFC champion who's been in the league coaching for 15 years and has never had one single losing season on his resume. Not to mention the fact that the Rooney Rule, which was instituted in 2003, a rule that stipulated, uh, you know, minority candidates needed to be interviewed by NFL teams. Teams were that that rule was enforced for many, many years since 2003, to be specific. Well, the rule is named after the former owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who's passed away now, but his son now owns the Pittsburgh Steelers. So because of that, you know, they're going to be inclined to give African-American opportunities in ways almost no one else in the NFL would. And so that's one thing to take into account there in terms of Brian Flores being employed by that team. The other thing is this. The lawsuit is still pending. There hasn't been a conclusion that has been reached as of yet. And that also put him in a very, very formidable position, because while he's making this accusation against a particular team owner, which was Stephen Ross, the owner for the Miami Dolphins, uh, who he accused of offering him $100,000 per game to actually lose games for every game he lost. Uh, that is yet to be proven or what have you. But he's made that accusation, and the reason why it would be difficult to ostracize him at this particular moment in time is because the first order of business needs to be finding out whether that owner for the Miami Dolphins indeed made that offer to Brian Flores. Because if he did, he will be exiled as an owner in the National Football League. Nevertheless, because that case is pending and because the accusations are so strong, you would incriminate yourself as a team and as a league if you didn't want to touch Brian Flores 
who had a winning record as a head coach and who had no business being propositioned by any owner like that. And everybody knows it. That's why that man has a job in the NFL right now. Mm. Do people feel in the industry that there are not enough black coaches, but they are afraid to say something because of situations like this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they understand that if they speak up, uh, you know, there's an, the league office, you got to distinguish between the league office and the league owners. The mm. league office has done everything it can to address uh, issues involving minority hires. There is no doubt about that. There's still work to be done. But they've done an awful lot of work since the turn of the century, and they continue to do so. The so league owners, however, are a different animal. Some mm -hmm. of them simply don't give a damn. They're, they're, they're white individuals in their 70s and 80s who don't give a damn about what anybody's saying. Social justice issues and all of this stuff, they want to do what they want to do. But here's what I don't understand. The Dolphins, nobody's even said the Dolphins in years, and it feels like you know, Flores was doing something down there. And I just feel like every time there's a black coach, whether it's football or basketball, that they really don't get a shot. It takes time to build a team. It takes time well, to start winning. I just don't feel like they're given the time. Well, that's an argument. You're not wrong, but it's not the most flagrant argument against the system that you can make. I'll give you one better. The Houston Texans mm -hmm. got rid of coach David Cully after one year, knowing that they gave him a bunch of garbage to work with. Mm. Okay. They got a first year GM who came in there, hired the dude and got rid of him after one year, but he kept his own job, even though he didn't do anything on the job. And he was about to hire a leading candidate for the job was a guy who had never coached in college, had never coached in the pros. He was a former NFL coach who was now coaching high school. Wow. That was the leading candidate for the job until people like myself and others raised holy hell. And then after that, he got bounced as a candidate and they ended up hiring former Chicago Bears coach Lovey Smith to be their new head coach at the franchise. It's a better example. And let's get your take real quickly because you're an HBCU alumni, so am I. Yep. The importance of what Deion Sanders is doing with the attention on Jackson State and trying to push HBCUs to get a, you know more access to better programming and get in there so that you know our boys can get into the NFL? Is it, is it a possibility? What's your take on all of it? Well, first of all, there have been several HBCU players that have made it to the NFL, but there needs to be more. And that notoriety and that attention comes with visibility. Uh, if you're on national television, you have an opportunity to see these brothers play. And then you can decide whether or not you want to give them additional looks. You never think about doing that until you notice them playing. Mm -hmm. So Deion Sanders and what he's doing is incredibly admirable. Because what he's doing is making a flagrant and emphatic effort towards giving recognition to HBCU athletes. And he's putting the leagues and the public at large on notice. He even did it with me because Deion Sanders is my boy. We've been tight for many, many years. And he came on my show on First Take on ESPN. And he said, hey, man, ESPN don't even have us up on the ticker that we got a game this weekend. Can you fix that? Mm. And on national television, I said, consider it done. <laughs> and the first thing I did fix was it? go up to the newsroom and said, make sure that when 
play Saturday, we put up their scores, and we let the nation know that there's a game taking place on an HBCU campus, and this is what the hell they're doing. And ESPN, <laughs> to its credit, had that bad boy right up on the ticker. And it's not just Deion Sanders. I want y'all to give a lot of love and credit to CP3, Chris Paul. Play base. We love him. HBCU All-Star Game on All-Star Weekend and all of that stuff. There's been a concerted effort, not just by myself, but by people like Deion Sanders, like Eddie Georgia, Tennessee State, like CP3, like the NBA, like TNT, that have made a real, real effort towards elevating the level of recognition HBCUs uh, obtain. And this is just step one. We're doing a lot more, and we need to do a lot more because that's the only way we're going to come close to even in the playing skills. And then also remember the NLI, the NIL issue, the name, image, and likeness, the fact that players and athletes can now profit off of their name, image, and likeness because that's going to sit there and say, hey, we don't have to go to a predominantly white institution in right. order to buffer our coffers and our wallets. We can go to an HBCU and still get paid because there'll be people who recognize us and we can profit off of our name, image, and likeness. You know, I cannot have you on this line with Cafe Mocha Radio and not ask you this question. Do you think the mm -hmm. Lakers can build around the big three, Braun and A? Hell no. For the next Hell no. <laughs> he just cut you off. <laughs> no. Hell no. It's over. Don't even waste your time with it. Don't even waste your time. <laughs> That, is, that experiment has failed drastically. There's no way around <laughs> You heard him, yo. Yo, ain't nothing to talk about. Stephen A. Smith, you can find him on ESPN. On the way, we're talking to journalist Danielle Smith about Black women in pop music. It's Cafe Mocha on KBLA Talk 15. Art tells a story, your story, and inspires others in your community to do the same. This Black History Month, AARP is celebrating the undeniable impact and contributions of Black art and artists everywhere. We're thrilled to celebrate these creators over 50. Through their work and persistence, they make society a better place by bringing us all closer together. Learn more at aarp.org slash black community. It's Cafe Mocha. It's Cafe Mocha. Angelique, Lonnie, Love, and Yo-Yo on the line authoress, journalist, Danielle Smith. Her new book is called Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop. Welcome to Cafe Mocha, Danielle. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on Cafe Mocha. <laughs> uh, we, we love it and we love our authors here. So tell us a little bit about your book, Shine Bright. Everybody calls everything a labor of love. Well, this is really, truly, truly a labor of love. I tell everybody that I'm sort of mad that it's done, that I'm not still working on it because I love so much writing about Black women who make music, who create music, who create art, who work around the women, who create some of the best music this country has ever, ever heard. And one of the main reasons that I wanted to write the book from the beginning is because I love to see Black women in music receive the credit that they are due. I just think that they don't get it. And I think that it's time for their stories to be told in detail, not as summary, not just as first, which is great, but Black women in music are more than that. Their stories are more than that. And the other thing I think that is interesting about my book, Shine Bright, is that it's a merge of memoir, um, the story of my life in music, 
as well as the story of people's lives and music, anybody from Aretha Franklin to Jody Watley to Millie Small to Mariah to Janet to Whitney, all the way back to Marian Anderson, Nancy Wilson, Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, we go in. So it's, um, it's very exciting, and I'm very excited. I'm so excited, too, because looking at the cover, which is an album, a vinyl record with flowers around it. I mean, what was your motivation? You know, we, it's such a great team of designers over there at One World, uh, Penguin Random House, and we were going around and around and around, like what will most symbolize, you know, just giving people credit, you know, and you know, everybody says it now to give people their flowers while they can smell them. And, and you put that vinyl on there that, you know, you start thinking of vinyl and CDs and, and everything that we all sort of grew up with. And you say, let's give, let's give folks their flowers. Let's do it. And that is what Shine Bright does. It tells these stories um, and, and it tells the accomplishments. Yes, but it also tells the trials and the tribulations. There's a lot of joy in Shine Bright, but there's also a lot of the things you have to go through kind of to get to the joy. You know, I want to talk a a little bit about sort of the downs. Uh, I guess over the past few months, six months or so, we've seen a couple of Britney documentaries. And as I'm watching the Britney doc, I can't help but think that, you know, she wouldn't exist if it weren't for Janet. And then the Janet doc comes out. And I just wonder as somebody who has been around the industry and looking at, you know, looking specifically at kind of the way Janet has been represented in the press. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts? There's never enough press for Janet Jackson. There's never enough um, lifting her up to genius. There's never enough. I don't care if I spoke her name every minute, 24 hours a day. And so did y'all and all y'all friends and family members. It just would not be enough. I think that it's not just that Janet doesn't get the credit for the ways that she's influenced everybody from Britney to Sierra to Beyonce on down to Nashe. I could keep going. Amari, everybody that's come after her, really. Anybody that sings and dances at the same time. Um, She doesn't get enough credit for that, but what she really, really doesn't get enough credit for, and this is something I talk about deeply in Shine Bright, is the fact that she had the nerve. She had the fearlessness and the bravery to become the star that she became in her brother's shadow. She did not allow um, herself to say, my brother is literally the biggest pop star this world has seen ever. But you know what? I'm going to do it too. I'm going to excel. People are going to know my name. As they know Michael, they shall know Janet. And she does not get the credit that she deserves just for that. It's Cafe Mocha on the line, author Danielle Smith, her new book, Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop. You know, Danielle, on, on this show, we really try to highlight urban AC, R&B. Why is it that especially our Black, in your opinion, our Black women pop stars, they don't get to shine like an Adele <laughs> or a Celine Dion? You know, a break with Adele. I'm sorry. Great voice. But the very I remember the very first time I heard her, I was working at a hot AC station, you know, a, a white station. I'm like, wait, this ain't nothing but R&B. This yeah. ain't nothing but soul music. So, yeah, good question. Mm-hmm. Good question. 
Yeah, listen, it's um the tough one. Adele is a is a is an amazing vocalist. She comes from a long line of non black uh vocalists that sing soul music. We could go all the way back as I'm sure you all know to Dusty Springfield. We could go we could go just far back. I mean, we all love Tina Marie, but Tina Marie's right there. It's it's so complex and so awful in this country that, that white people just receive more credit, more money, more acknowledgement, more lifting up to genius than black people do for doing the exact same thing and usually better. And it's, it's so unfortunate because what it does is it doesn't allow us to love the Adele's with our whole heart. It doesn't allow us to love the Amy Winehouse's with our whole heart because we know that the playing field is unfair. Just the fact that, I mean, you guys know I was editor of Billboard, so I believe in the data points. I believe in all the different AC, urban AC, you know, bubbling under hot, you know, best 200 albums, hot 100, all of that. But all of those things started out as very segregated and most of them remain segregated at this very moment. But I remember when we did this, uh, it was like an anniversary of the AC format when I was at Billboard the last time and I interviewed Johnny Mathis. Like Johnny Mathis sold more records than anybody even wants to think about. It's up towards 100 million records, okay? And Johnny Mathis doesn't feel that he is considered along the same lines as, you know, like Frank Sinatra or any of these kind of people, Tony Bennett. So it's the Adele's and it's everywhere. It's unfortunate. You know, it's just with Elvis Presley and Big Mama Thornton, it just goes back. So you've had over 30 years in music with Vibe and Billboard, and you've seen the transition that women have had to make in in this book, you say you talk about not just women in pop, but you talk about your own story. Can you tell us that transition of over 30 years behind the scenes in music? The adult part of it, you know, it comes with its trials and tribulations. It's really something that I feel that I'm blessed to work in music. It brings me so much joy. I mean, I see the pain in, in Black women artists. I see the pain in male hip-hop artists, I see a lot of the pain that's in the music business from being short-sold to having to beg to be played on pop stations. I remember when hip-hop wasn't even being booked into nightclubs in the Bay Area, which is my home area, and I did a big story about that a long time ago. It was like, I see that pain, but at the same time, music does bring me a lot of joy. So I do feel very blessed to work in what we all call, you know, the industry. And But then people ask me, well, Danielle, how did you end up in the industry? And I really do believe I had my eye on the quote-unquote industry before I even knew what it was. I think when my mother took me to my first concert, I was eight years old. I saw the Jackson 5, Janet Jackson was opening. I saw them at the Circle Star Theater in San Carlos, California. And I think that my destiny was pretty much set in stone at that time. And... You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. And I had a very rough childhood, very tumultuous. And I outline it in Shine Bright. And the thing is, I wish I could tell you it did not mirror the lives of a lot of women in our business. Everything isn't, you know, physical abuse is terrible. Sexual abuse is obviously tragic, terrible. It's the most awful thing in the world. There's also mental abuse, spiritual abuse. Uh, neglect, those kinds of things that do have a large effect on people, especially people who want to stand out front. And my thing is, I wanted to write Shine Bright to, to remind people that you can stay on your path or you can make your new path the bomb path. You can turn your new path into your destiny, which is what I think I did. I'm so excited that you've written this book and I cannot wait to read it. I am excited to hear the powerful message. Well, I am so excited that you're excited, especially you, Yo-Yo. 
because the thing about it being a very personal, um, and I'm not going to get emotional, but I will, because getting emotional about another Black woman's work yes. is giving credit. Girl, a Black Pearl? No. Yolanda. Yes. That record yes. has gotten me through, girl, years. My husband is like, you and that record, have you ever, he always says, have you ever told Yo-Yo about your relationship with that record and how you know every word and how when she says, girl, let me lift you up where you belong? Mm-mm. Yolanda. I know, you got me over here crying. <laughs> because it's true though, it's true. I get asked all the time about women in rap and I say, Yo-Yo. I say, Yo-Yo. Girl, you did it for us. You did it for the West Coast girls, and you did it for everybody. So, you know, it came when out. I speak to my husband Elliot, who I know you know. Yes, when I love. speak to Elliot, I am going to tell him I spoke with Yo-Yo today, <laughs> and as you have been advising me for years, I told her what that song means to me. Girl, it's a beautiful record, and you deliver it like a queen. Thank you. Thank you. I know. Yeah, we go way back. That record did a lot for me, being in the industry, coming in at 18, and just seeing it, seeing the world, like being able to look at the world. Loving our brothers, men with strength, wisdom, assertive, and genuine in their spirit. It's the Cafe Mocha Swag. Hosted by Rashawn McDonald. Thank you, ladies. I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversation Masterclass with the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner, Glenn Terman. He's an Emmy and NAACP Image Award winning actor, director, and humanitarian filmmaker. He shared a little known story about Anthony Carl from Coretta Scott King that was the impetus of him starting his camp for inner city and disenfranchised youth. What happened was I promised um, Coretta Scott King that that's what I was going to do was start a camp because this was in 92 and we just had Rodney King's civil unrest and Coretta Scott King had called up a lot of the community leaders and asked us what did we think we could do to help and that was my contribution my wife and I's contribution and so I went and I asked Sinbad and I asked uh, Don Lewis and mm-hmm. Jasmine and Kadeem I said hey y'all chip in some bucks I'm going to try and do something up at the ranch and they did and uh, we were able to start, the, start a camp and that was uh, 27 years ago. You can listen to this full interview with Glenn Terman. It's available on moneymakingconversation.com. Keep winning. Cafe Mocha on the line. Danielle Smith. The book is called Shine Bright, a very personal history of black women in pop. And I want to ask you, since you brought up Yo-Yo's song, what role does the rap diva play in this conversation? Because, you know, it's only recently that we've had more than just a couple of female rappers. Now, you know, they're dominating the chart. So how does that sort of change the discussion about what a diva is when it comes to Black music? It's such a long time coming for uh, Black women, MCs, Black women rappers. It's just a very long time coming. There's so many people that put in so much work, I think, uh, rappers like Nicki Minaj, like uh, Cardi B. Uh, I really do like a uh, rapper out of Detroit right now named Cash Doll. Um, there's so many great uh, rhymers right now, and they're standing on the shoulders of, of women that really put in all that work. I think that it changes the conversation uh, some, but not altogether, no. I think that if we had a little roundtable of women rappers even from right now, even if they were all on the charts right now, 
and we just said, so how is it? <laughs> How's it going? What was your journey like over the last five to 10 years? I don't know that it's going to sound that different from Yo-Yo's journey. I would love to say things have changed completely and it's all super fabulous because Cardi's Diamond. I love that record so much. I knew she was out of here from Bodak Yellow. From the moment I heard it, I said, no, she out of here. But that didn't make me think. And so now everything is different in the hip hop game for women. Right. No, Cardi B was influenced as Lauryn Hill was when she was pregnant to not be pregnant because it was going to, you know, cause her career to not be what it could be. She mm -hmm. was advised. Mm -hmm. Both of them were. And this is a, what, a 20 year span between their biggest albums? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, so have things changed? I don't know. I think that they're more visible. I think they're smarter. I think they know better how to get money. I think they know better how to promote themselves. I think they probably make better decisions than I know I did when I was their age. But I don't think a lot has changed because that's so basic. Try to influence a woman's pregnancy. I mean, come right. on. Right. Like, no. It just speaks to how slow the culture can move with regard to black women. It moves slow. I mean, we get there. As you can see, Supreme Court Justice. Hello. Right. You know, Vice President Kamala and all these things. Another California girl doing big things. But the wheel moves so slow for black women. And I, I want it to speed up, man. I want the shining brighter to happen sooner. All righty. Danielle Smith, the book is called Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop. Thank you, Danielle. Oh, thank you for having me. You guys are lovely. Think of me again. You're appreciated. Here's your dose of espresso. Strong, hot news now. This is the espresso. President Biden stopped by North Carolina A&T this week and was very clear about his favorite HBCU. The vice president is incredibly talented. She's a Howard graduate. A great school. And I hear about Morehouse men from my senior advisor, Cedric Richmond, all the time. And you've got a great university here. But Delaware State. The city of New York says we will no longer do business with Wells Fargo, and here's why. Wells Fargo rejected over half of black applicants seeking to refinance their homes in 2020, while approving over 70% of white applicants. Magic Johnson's docuseries hit Apple TV this week. The journey from Lansing, Michigan, growing up there, and my parents are in it, the, my brothers and sisters. Uh, it's about what my wife, you know, all our struggle together, but finally coming together. They Call Me Magic is on Apple TV Plus, and trust me, it's got to be better than that HBO show that's about magic. I think I'll watch this docuseries instead. That's the espresso. Make sure you go to saluteher.com and get ready for the Mother's Day edition of the Salute Her Awards. We're giving away free goodies. The event is free. You don't even have to leave your living room. You can watch on your couch with your mama and your grandmama. I promise you will be inspired. Saluteher.com gets you registered for the event and to win a sister's gift box. Then tune in Mother's Day at 7 p.m. for the Salute Her Awards presented by AARP and Toyota. Until next time, you can find us on all platforms at Cafe Mocha Radio. Cafe Mocha is a production of Miles Ahead Broadcasting in partnership with Compass Media. Executive producer Sheila Eldridge. For comments, booking, or more information, visit CafeMochaRadio.com.